Has everybody in Australia heard yet about the Sand Sound Circuit? The Support Australian Netrunner Send an Aussie North Circuit. The ANRPC, the Android Netrunner Player Circuit, is coming to Australia. If you want to get involved, find out if your local favourite local game store is planning on hosting a qualifier. The top three players from those qualifiers will get an invite to the final qualifier, which will be held here in Melbourne, so like you need an excuse to come visit us here. If your local game store is hosting one, that's great. If they're not sure, then tell them to send us an email at thewinningagenda@gmail.com. We can provide them all the information, all the additional price support they need via email. Lastly, do you really like The Winning Agenda? Do you like what we do? Then if you want to really let us know how much you like us, outside of sending us an email with a photo of yourself holding a wonderful Winning Agenda playmat available at inktoplaymonths.com, you can jump over to patreon.com slash thewinningagenda and you can open our loot crate and throw us a few shekels, a penny for a tail. 50 cents a show if you pay $2 a month and it allows us to do some fantastic things, not unlike bringing the ANRPC to Australia. So thank you so much to everybody who has already supporting us please enjoy this week's episode of the winning agenda good evening and welcome to episode 75 of the winning agenda tonight we've got something a little bit different i'm going to pass the torch over to 2014 national champion jesse marshall who will be interviewing jacob morris of the anchor website the android netrunner comprehensive unofficial rules about the latest and very very big update to the netrunner tournament rules so without any further ado jesse marshall thanks for that brian we're now joined by anchor webmaster and rules guru jacob morris all the way from america to discuss with us the changes to the android netrunner tournament rules which happened last week this is a very exciting change and uh, i think Jacob's been scouring through the document to figure out exactly what is new, and he's going to discuss with me now uh, all of the differences and what they might mean for you in your upcoming tournaments. So welcome, Jacob. Hey, thank you for having me. It's all right. So what we've got is quite a comprehensive rules update uh, in terms of tournament structure, probably one of the more comprehensive updates in the history of the game, probably the most important since the top eight uh, or the cut yeah. structure was changed. What are some of the headline changes that we're seeing here? Mm, what we're definitely seeing is sort of a more a focused competitive environment. They're dividing up and actually defining all the different styles and tiers and formats of tournaments um, and then using those to define several more like basically variations on what an event looks like so that we can have more of an expectation of what we're going to see at each event. And I think um, that's been a really good sort of approach that FFG has taken throughout the life of Android Netrunner is to really look at the way tournaments are run, listen to feedback from players and try and tailor the tournament rules to suit how players are playing or how they want their tournaments to go. And it seems like they've done a really good job here. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. With the one caveat that there are obviously a lot, always going to be some controversial, at least issues or topics that come up that you can't, you just mm. can't please everybody. And we'll get to those eventually. <laughs> Yeah, but in, in general, I think the um, the better definition of things like the, the tournament roles for people, uh, which we'll come to, and as you said, the structures of the tournaments themselves just gives people a little bit more certainty, I think, about h- how their tournament's going to run when they turn up on the day. Exactly. I mean, and it's especially important because the more popular the game gets, the more we need to have people coming to events and having those consistent experiences. So I'm 
uh, yeah, I'm overall very pleased. Wonderful. So um, what would you uh, sort of like to start with in terms of uh, the changes that we've got here? Should we start with the roles, seeing as they're at the top of the docket? Sure, that sounds good. All right. So do you want to take us through these three new roles? We've got organizer, which is at the top. We've got marshal, which I'm very pleased about being included there. So you'll <laughs> see me at uh, every one of your tournaments around the world, which is exciting. Excellent. And then we've got judge aside from player and spectator. So what's an organizer, what's a marshal, and what's a judge, Jacob? All right, so first of the, at the top, we've got only one of these is actually like the required role, and that's the organizer. They're like the main leader of the event. Uh, this is kind of more what we would expect currently from our TOs, is the guy who, or gal, you know, whoever is running the event, advertising, coordinating with stores if that's necessary and stuff like that to make sure that the event actually gets off the ground, happens, and goes smoothly on the day of the of the event. Uh, so this is the person who, I guess, the buck stops with them yep. in most things? or Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, I would also sort of consider them kind of a head judge sort of role as well, uh, just as the kind of leader of the tournament, which is a little bit farther down. Uh, they have final say if someone brings, you know, anything related to the event to them. Right. Um, and we should say also that these three roles, the organizer, the marshal, and the judge, mm-hmm. are defined as leaders. Is that right? So yeah. they have a, a particular, there are particular provisions throughout the rest of the document that refer to leaders. Exactly. And when it, when that happens, it's talking about these three roles. Exactly. Yeah. Sp- yeah, definitely. Like, especially uh, the, the biggest one is, of course, whether or not a leader is allowed to participate, which will... It depends on what level of tournament you're you're playing at. Sure. So, what does a what does a marshal do? All right. So the next one, the marshal is if the organizer is really good looking. <laughs> yeah. no, sorry, continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if the or, if the organizer is not doing the head judge stuff, then the marshal is the one doing that. So they're the final authority on rules, regulations, player disputes. Uh, you know, making sure if there's any funny business, uh, they're in charge of disqualifying and so on and so forth. Okay. So it. The marshal is sort of like a delegated head judge in a way. Yeah, yeah. is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So you can delegate as the organizer. You can delegate it to someone. Otherwise, you are the marshal. Right. Yep. And then a judge is sort of is that envisioned as distinct from a marshal that if you're going to have more than one judge, you'll appoint one of them as the marshal, and then the rest will be judges. That, is that sort of yeah? That's idea? that's my reading of it as well. Is that you you would have a staff of judges, and one of them is the head judge or the marshal, uh, and as the organizer, maybe you're kind of taking more of the, you know, administrative or scorekeeping role. Yeah. I think um, from my reading, that seems to work reasonably well in terms of splitting up the traditional roles in tournaments so that it scales. Yep, you know, exactly. if you've got a small tournament, you can just have the organizer. Otherwise, you can scale up to have all three roles. Exactly. Does that seem how it reads to you? Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely the intention here because <clears throat> especially with the introduction of the MWL in the last list, like all the little things that you need to do to make a t- tournament run well, like deck checks and dealing with player disputes, there's just so much more that you have to manage. And this makes it so that you can you delegate those responsibilities much more clearly to people. Awesome. Um, so the next, I guess, issue is whether or not the leaders, the organizer, the marshal, and the judge can participate in the tournament. What does the document tell us about that? The biggest thing, and this this actually isn't too hugely different from what we had before, as long as you have two leaders at the event, uh, then you can both participate because then you have someone to lean back on if you're involved in one of the games. Um, so if there's a dispute about your play, the other leader can help to adjudicate on that. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. And then if two players are playing, if those two leaders then are playing against each other, whoever's been designated as the marshal is the one who decide, like, is the final decider in that game. 
Uh, so I guess they're they're kind of expecting you to all know each other or at least um, be able to respect those boundaries if you come up in a hmm. game against each other. That seems really cool. And But that's not applicable to uh, higher-level tournaments, it, is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the next step is that this, is, this only applies at a relaxed tournament, which is going to be like your leagues, your game night kits, and so on. Uh, whereas if you're playing at a formal or premier tournament in any of the, like, actual competitive circuit then you you cannot participate if you're a leader at all cool. they want you so we need to have independent judges at sort of store champs and up exactly they want you to be focusing on running the event and not playing as well so i think that pretty much covers us off on leaders the next main change is probably in the player materials section in terms of what you need to bring to play the play the tournament yep i'm personally pretty excited about uh, third-party tokens that's amusing to me that they put that in there yeah it's good to have that clarification yeah even though they've sort of i guess uh tacitly sanctioned it by allowing it on video at well yeah, so exactly. yeah i will i will just all have to be very careful not to let that power go to our head yeah yeah exactly um but the the marshal uh does have final say on that don't they yeah. whether the tokens are acceptable or not exactly and i did see somebody post which um i mean no offense to our friends at broken egg games and those of you with broken egg <laughs> games tokens but i think those tokens do tend to rub a lot of people up the wrong way so i wouldn't blame any marshals out there for disallowing yeah those. that's i mean i'm not planning on doing it myself but it's it's nice that it's there. If you're going to be like, especially because now that streaming's becoming a thing, if you're going to be running a stream, you need to have clear board states. You need people to be able to tell what's going on. So, uh, yeah. I think the the most that I would personally use this rule is to say that if you're on the stream, I will provide you tokens. If you're using like dice or broken egg games or something. Yeah, and I think that that's happened quite a lot in the past. I know at the um, Adelaide Regionals tournament last year, where someone was recording, he asked that anyone who was on stream use not dice yeah and you know if they didn't have tokens with them he provided them with tokens so exactly what you just said there yeah exactly i i I don't i would hate to see this being used as actually abusive like telling people they can't play with what they're used to but oh definitely yeah yeah, don't don't do that i'm not not saying that marshals marshals out there should be you know making people feel terrible about the tokens they've brought but i guess as players in general i always encouraged people to think about are the tokens that you're bringing or the ways that you're representing your credit pool fairly allowing your opponent to clearly see what the current board state is? Exactly. And I think there are some tokens that were pushing that boundary. So, I mean, it's always unfortunate when a decision maker like a marshal has to come in and tell you, no, you've oversteps the boundary. But I think this makes it clearer to players that there is a boundary and you should be self-policing and saying, you know, at all times I should be fairly representing the game state to my opponent. Exactly. And just as kind of a general rule too, they've they've made it very clear in this document that anything you're doing at the event needs to be clearly advertised well ahead of time too. So if you're going to like disallow a specific type of token or something at the event, then you need to be telling people that ahead of time. So as a general rule, that seems to be kind of the purpose that they're going for as well. So I think I think that's great that they're kind of allowing people that flexibility while still providing a structure that lets us have, you know, a better experience. Yeah, I really like that too. Um, so the other change in the, the tournament or the player materials is card sleeves. That's mm-hmm. a subtle but sort of important change that people should be aware of. Yep, definitely. This is a, This is a big deal, not because it's like a really big deal, but just because it's different, make sure you are using opaque sleeves as a general rule. You, uh, don't have to at relaxed events. So that's game night kits. Yeah, exactly. You can use clear sleeves or, you know, not use sleeves at all. 
Uh, as long as you're using no promos. Exactly. As long as you're not using promos. Because then you would be able to tell what card is which. However, at Formal and Premier, so Store Champs and up, the new rule is? Yeah, rule is you must use opaque sleeves. So as long as you cannot see through the sleeve in any way, then you are good to go. Cool. That's a good little one for people to know. Mm-hmm. The other one that's probably interesting to quite a lot of our listeners who might have some of the fan-made alt arts that have been doing the rounds recently is that those are not allowed in tournament play at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a good point. So FFG said only official Android Netrunner components, and that includes IDs. So your identity must be an official Android Netrunner identity. Yeah, so that uh, in a tournament. Yeah, exactly in a tournament. So that's definitely something to be aware of. I know there are a lot of really cool alt arts out there. So that's that's an unfortunate sort of byproduct of these rules. But it will, you know, I understand the point of what why they would do that because they want people to know what they're playing against. There shouldn't be any like sort of obfuscation of. I, I think it's the same kind of issue that people have with foreign language cards, where if, if you come up a card that you don't recognize, you need to be able to know what it is and read it and figure it out. Yeah, and while you might say, oh, you only really need to know what the idea is at the start and then you should remember, um, there are some instances where, I mean, it's not... Some instances, people remember cards based on art yep. very strongly. Exactly. And when you've, got a, when you've got a board state that's really complex, people are often going to shortcut in their brains to remembering the cards by their appearance exactly. and the art. Exactly. I, that's something you hear a lot as the, the joke that all of the card text is reminder text and it's just the art that's actually the card. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so I think we've pretty much covered off on tournament components. Uh, the next issue is the randomization of sides mm-hmm. in a tournament. So how does that work now? Uh, now, whenever you come up in a new Swiss tournament, before you start setting up or doing anything, you're going to determine randomly who's going to play their runner first. And this is different because previously you randomly determined who was going to choose? Yeah, exactly. I It's... It's actually almost irrelevant entirely because when it's random at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how you decide randomly, right? The only weird thing is just that now it's well. It's I mean, it, it is it is a bit different yeah. because if if two players sat down and one was going to play Corp if they won the die roll, and the other one was going to play Runner if they won the die roll, there's a hundred percent chance that that's what they're going to be playing that round. Whereas under this, it's fifty percent chance. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, so that, so there, there is a chance that um, both players could end up playing the one they wouldn't have chosen. Since you're both going to be playing both sides in the over the course of the match, it generally doesn't make a difference. The only way it makes a difference is if you go to time. Um, and you would have got closer to finishing the second game had you played them in the reverse order, but that's a really corner case, and I think this rule simplifies this, the uh, process enough that it's fine. Yep. The other weird thing is that you don't actually reveal your identity cards until after you decide, although, I mean, again, it's it's irrelevant what order you do those in, which is a little weird. Hmm. Um, but we should point out that with the revealing of the identities that was only ever really important in double elimination yep, rounds exactly. and that, that continues. So when you're in double elim, you still have to show your opponent uh, which IDs you're playing before they choose. Yes, exactly. So that's just like one a weird thing that's different between Swiss and double elimination. Yeah. I think people will mostly shortcut through that though. It's like actually not, you know what I mean? It's not really big. Yeah, it, there's, no, there's no point keeping the information secret if who plays what is entirely random anyway. Yep, exactly. Cool. Um, so the next issue that's changed a little bit is the 
switching in grand finals, which is a subset of that. Yep. So you can't you can't play the same side twice in a in the grand final of a premier tournament or a tournament with a cut. Yep. Exactly. Whereas before it was strictly there was a rule about alternating based on who's played the least side. You now actually just if there's a grand final switch sides, which is much much better. Yeah. Makes a lot <laughs> of sense to me. <laughs> yep. Uh, makes it a lot fairer. I mean, we had that exact situation at a store champs last weekend. No and, way, that's uh, the, the yeah, the person who came from the winners bracket had to play the loser, the the person from the losers bracket with the same side twice and lost both games. Uh, so the person from the losers bracket won, which is unfortunate. That is very unfortunate. So then we've got let's let's hit uh, tiebreakers first, real quick, because that's a much smaller issue. Uh, the only real change is that we're now doing head to head ties. Head to head ties, the first tiebreaker. When you're deciding the standings of a game uh, or of a particular tournament after any number of rounds, uh, based on, like, if I have the same number of points as you and I've beaten you in a previous round, then I'm considered ranked higher than you, just regardless of strength of schedule or any of that. Okay. Um, and that is only going to really come up, it's going to come more, more often in smaller tournaments. Yep, definitely. Isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Where you're more likely to have played the people on the same number of points as you. Exactly. Um, and what, how do you feel about that change? Do you think that's a, a good way to divide players who are on the same number of points? I think it's personally better than strength of schedule, uh, since it's not really gonna it's not gonna affect too many things. But it's it's a it's a better measure than just strength of schedule, right? Because if I've whether or not I've beaten the people who have a higher strength of schedule than me is not really as relevant as whether I've beaten you directly, right? Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it adds a bit more um, spice to every matchup, I guess. Exactly. And it means that your yeah your progression to the cut is going to be based on how you've gone against the other people who've ended up at the top yep. with you. Exactly. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a great way to sort of... It's not all the way there, but it's a great way to sort of start to encourage people to play through all of their games. Even though we're about to talk about this, about intentional draws and conceding are allowed... They're definitely kind of hinting at you should play your games because it's better for you. Yeah, no, that's good to have that incentive in there for sure. Exactly. So the other the other way that the rules have changed quite significantly is that the game can now end in a different way to how it could before. So you can now score. You can win on scoring agenda points. You can win by flatlining, by milling the corp, by going to time. The game can end, or by concession, which previously was disallowed. Correct. So what's the change there? Um, the biggest change is just a complete reversal of <laughs> what they were doing. Because before it was required that you played out any game, and now they're not forcing you to play through all of the games if you don't want to. You can now concede to your opponent, uh, and then they receive a game win instead. Right, so I think the text here is, a player voluntarily concedes defeat at any point during the game. The conceding player receives a game loss, and the opponent receives a game win. So you can it can happen halfway through a game if you realize you decide you can't win anymore. Uh, you've got to go for one reason or another, you don't really want to play anymore in that round because you want to go get lunch. Yep. Any of those reasons are enough to allow you to concede now? Yep, any of the, any reason, uh, the, the biggest, as long as it's not breaking any of the other rules. Cool, so as long as it's not unsportsmanlike exactly. in some way. Yep. All right, um, and I guess... It, we had a little bit of discussion with uh, on the UK Netrunner group. There was, someone had done um, quite a decent write-up. I think it was Mark. And that was really helpful to sort of start a discussion. And what it showed was that even though FFG have done a really good job in this um, update of clarifying points and putting a little bit more detail, a bit more meat on the bones, 
when they've made significant changes like allowing concessions, it would be good if they could provide a few more concrete examples, which hopefully they'll do in a floor rules update yep. to show exactly what's permissible and what's not, because there is a little bit of ambiguity there, I think. Exactly, because all we really have to point to is, like, is allowed to concede, is a concession good or bad, is the un- small little paragraph of unsporting conduct on page three. Uh, and it just kind of says, like, you have to be mature, you have to be considerate, play within the rules, don't abuse them. And it's not really explaining to us, like, what is or isn't a good example of uh, collusion, right? Yeah, and we, we'd probably, um, if we were importing... A lot of these changes seem to have been imported from the um, floor rules or the mm-hmm. tournament rules for Magic Gathering. Because yep. um, I think there was... Uh, maybe I had rumoured that there was a judge who's now been... A judge from Magic the Gathering who's now involved at FFG with devi- designing some of these tournament systems. Whether or not that's true, a lot of these um, changes are aligning these tournament rules a lot more with the magic tournament rules in a lot of ways and one of the things that is sort of a fundamental in those tournament rules is that you can't offer your opponent any incentives to concede to you yep and you can't determine the outcome of a match randomly so you can't roll a die for it you can't play rock paper scissors anything like that exactly so your concession has to be purely you deciding to concede for a reason you know that you've come up with yep exactly and that's and coming to sort of intentional draws being two different concessions or a concession from either player of one game uh it's definitely feels that way because they're stipulating in the rules that if you want to negotiate an intentional draw with your opponent you must have a judge there to do so uh so they're definitely that's to me i guess that indicates wanting to prevent those incentives like if you concede to me or you intentionally draw with me I might make top eight and I'll give you my prizes, but I just want to win the buy sort of thing. You can, none of that should be allowed. Exactly. You should, you should, as soon as you get to the match and want to try and figure that out, you should call around a judge so that the judge can make sure uh, that you, there's no funny business going on. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I mean, we've already sort of started segueing into intentional draws, so I guess we can probably continue that a little bit. Um, I think this is even probably more vague than... Um, the concession point because they've tried to add a bit more detail in possibly without adding enough yep. so where concessions is sort of pretty blanket you know a player can voluntarily concede defeat as long as they're not being unsportsmanlike that's pretty clear um, but also could do with some clarification around exactly what unsportsmanlike means yep. with intentional draws we've got this additional text about the leader being required to be present to prevent breach of the tournament integrity and that the leader won't intervene as long as the players do follow around sporting conduct. So it's very sort of clearly inserted into the provision there. Um, exactly what that means in terms of what the intention of that of having that explicitly called out there is, I think is a little bit unclear. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I would love for this to like just explicitly tell you what you can and cannot discuss, right? Like we should we should know exactly like you cannot offer incentives uh, you cannot coerce the other player or in any way uh, sort of thing. Like, if it was just way more specific, I think people would be a little bit more open to the idea of this paragraph and trying to figure out what it means and how it affects them. Yeah, I think those those things are, are really good. Like, if are, are things that I would agree with is what this is trying to get at, which is coercion, incentives, and I'd probably add in um, trying to prevent another player from progressing in the tournament. You know, yeah, like colluding exactly. to say, well, if we do this, it'll screw over that other person. Exactly. I think that exactly. is something that is pr- 
probably f- falls under the banner of collusion, even if you do it in front of the leader. Um, what I think is the absolute gray area is try- offering to round split in order to progress yourself, because I think that's really the only reason people would want to split around exactly. is if they get to the end of Swiss and they think that two points is going to be enough to get them into the cut. That seems like the only logical time that you'd really want to do this. Yep. So you'd assume that, it, that, that that's allowed, but it's not clearly stated. Yes. So it would be good to know that. Exactly. Because uh, really it, the, the question is, is colluding to alter the results of the tournament, does that mean I can't alter anyone else's results? Or can I? is this a tool I can use to, you know... Because the real question comes down to, are we at this tournament to compete or are we at this tournament to play Netrunner, right? That's really what the all kind of boils down to. And I think this is um, a good point to mention what, uh, you know, Brian wrote an article about this issue and the discussion and debate that happened a long time ago in magic judging circles about intentional draws was that they're an evil, but they're an evil that's necessary to allow because otherwise it happens in a clandestine way and it's really Mm -hmm. hard to police. So it seems like by putting it in here, they're saying we'll allow it and we'll allow it in this sort of controlled way that you have to do it in front of a leader. And it's not a good thing. You know, they're not saying we like people doing this. We'd obviously rather they play Netrunner. But if you're going to do it, I think they're trying to say it has to be because you want the two points and only the two points. You're not concerned about four and your opponent feels the same way. You're not offering them any incentives. You're not coercing them. You're not doing it to screw over someone else in the tournament. You know, those are the the rules. And I would like that to be more clearly spelled out. I agree with you. Um, The other real ambiguity here as well as how much the leader is supposed to be involved in this decision i would love for the rules to more explicitly define whether or not like as a leader if i come over to 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 a table and they're trying to discuss whether or not they want to intentionally split the round uh can they ask me what their standings are right now can they ask me how many points everyone else at the table has can you know that sort of thing like how much information is too much information? Yeah, and I think that the unsporting conduct paragraph, the fact that it includes players cannot reference outside material or information during a match. However, you can ask the judge for clarification from official rule documents. Mm-hmm. That indicates that you wouldn't be able to ask about standings, which is another important thing to add into those list of caveats that I added just before. So, um, you know, if you want to split with your opponent, you, you think you're happy with the two points and they think they're happy with the two points, you haven't coerced them and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you also can't base your conversation on standings. Yep, exactly. That's a good, that's a really good point. That's really good. Yeah, which is that is different to magic because often in a magic tournament in the penultimate at the end of the penultimate round they'll put up standings so that people can decide whether what they want to do. Whereas it seems like the intention here is that they don't want tournament organizers to put up standings after the penultimate round. They don't want people to make those decisions about whether to ID or not based on being certain of standings of their mathematical certainty of getting in. Yeah. I I don't know. I think it's a little bit more ambiguous than that because Technically, how many points I have, I already know, and how many points other people have. Uh, it, it, you know, it's that is information that is a part of the tournament. Is is that considered outside information for it to be something that is a part of the tournament, but not necessarily like a part of the game itself? That it, it seems a little ambiguous to me, at the very least. Yeah, maybe that's not quite so clear there yeah. in terms of outside information. Yeah. Mm. It'd be good to get a clarification, definitely, yeah. from FFG. I agree. I think those are probably the last two issues that we really needed to cover. Was there anything else in summary? There's no changes to the most wanted list, but is there anything else, um, I guess, 
across the document in a whole that you wanted to mention? Uh, the only other big thing I would mention is that uh, uh, if you're listening and you're running tournaments or you are going to go to a tournament and know whoever's running it, make sure that they get this document because there is also s some small changes to the tournament structures themselves. Whereas, for example, before the number of rounds that you're supposed to do and the size of the cut uh, were independent variables based on the number of players, uh, they are now just one big table that says, if you have this many players, you do this many rounds of this size of a cut. Uh, so just, it's really important that people who are running events get the latest version of this document so that we're all running the same kind of tournament. Cool. I, I think that's a good change. I think they only added in the exact clarification about number of rounds and cut in the last version of this. So it's, yeah, yeah. Good, to, good to have that in there for sure and good for it to be as simple and clear as possible. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jacob. Um, it's been really good to have your insights and your clarifications about what exactly these quite sweeping changes to the tournament rules mean. Um, we hope to get a bit more clarification from FFG as to a few of the issues that we've noted there, but most of it's quite clear and I think improves the game overall. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited about this. This is a huge step in the right direction uh, and, and it can only go up from here, right? Uh, yeah, I think sending your feedback to everyone because I think what this shows is that FFG does listen. Mm -hmm. They are interested in hearing what players think and what their experience is, is of tournaments. Yep. So if there's something in here that you think's not working, let them know and I'm sure they'll be willing to consider it. Exactly. Uh, that that goes true of everything about Netrunners. I, I, I always tell people, like, if you don't think that what the answers we have now are good enough, you need to tell Fantasy Flight. Like, go to their website, fill out the contact form. Because uh, that's the only way we'll know for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jacob. And we look forward to chatting to you again for our next Data Pack review. Yeah, you too. How about that? Fantastic stuff from Jesse Marshall and Jacob Morris. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Winning Agenda. And you can go check us out on Facebook. Our like page is The Winning Agenda. Until next Monday, guys, we love each and every one of you. So stay safe and sit tight. See you then. Bye.